afternoon, Maranatha. <clears throat> we are happy to be with you guys this afternoon and hope you're doing well. Um, we're going to be continuing our series on um, the uh, uh, body life ministry and, and hopefully help you guys navigate a few things uh, within the church. Uh, before we start that, though, we do have just a few announcements. Um, if you guys want to Sure, I'll start. Yeah, I've got a um, equipping hour class coming up January 10. It'll be on parenting. Um, it's kind of a two-stage thing. This this year we'll be talking, at, at the, the title of it is Parenting Through All Life Stages, but this year we'll probably primarily be focusing on um, the priority of parenting, the goal of parenting, and then we'll talk a little bit about parenting from infancy to childhood, kind of the objectives and then the procedures. And um, next time, next year, we'll be talking more about older children, but um, that's just kind of where we're going. And then the women's, um, the women's training is coming up again on January 9, I believe it is? Yep. Okay, yeah. And um, so we'll be going through um, anthropology and uh, hamartiology, man and sin. It's basically what we'll be dealing with in that class. So we look forward to it. Yeah, we got a men's training coming up as well on January 17. So we're starting a new semester of men's training. And uh, we just finished a semester on hermeneutics, and we're going to spend the next semester working through biblical doctrine together. So uh, we're also going to be doing doctrines of man and sin. So we're going to copy Joe. Uh, but uh, looking forward to that, guys. And so just a reminder, this is for any guy at our church that really wants to um, take up uh, maybe a higher level of training. It's not necessarily for seminary students, but it is at a higher level. And uh, it's, But it's not just for guys heading to seminary either or ministry or anything like that. It's just a way for us to sharpen each other as men. And so we hope, guys, you can come on January 17 to 1 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we also have our uh, meeting lunch meeting oh lunch meeting yeah i forgot about that january 3 will be a church meeting uh, after our main service during our equipping hour the adults are going to meet in the auditorium and uh, just another update for you on what's going on at our church just to update you on where we're at where we're going some plans that we have a little bit for the future um, so we invite you to stay for that meeting on Sunday, January 3rd, and we will provide you a meal as well. So we hope you can stay for that. Uh, we're not doing a potluck for this one, just uh, providing a meal. So we hope you can stay for a uh, time of uh, some fellowship after that. So we're looking forward to that on Sunday, January 3rd. Awesome. So this morning or this afternoon, we're going to be talking about um, when should I leave a church? And uh, it may sound strange that we would be telling you when you should be leaving a church. We're not trying to kick anybody out. <laughs> Certainly not kicking anybody no, out. Nobody in mind here that we're trying to get rid of, right? <laughs> well, <Right>. well <laughs> let's, not, let's not publicize it. Yeah, sorry. So generally, though, uh, we would say the best practice is to stay at your church where you are and minister there where the Lord has sovereignly placed you. But let's talk before we get into the nuts and bolts here. Um, why would we take this topic on? Yeah, a good question. Um, this is a topic we actually get asked about quite often. Uh, I think about last 16 years here at Maranatha, and uh, I can't probably keep track of all the conversations I've had with various people, not so much here, but just people in, that I interact with in ministry and people asking, you know, here's what's going on at my church. What would you do? Would you stay? Would you go? What are some criteria for evaluating when we should leave a church? And so I just think these are these are our key issues. Um, 
I think there's some bad reasons to leave a church, and maybe we could just talk about that really briefly. I think there's all kinds of bad reasons. Probably there's more bad reasons for people leaving a church than there are good reasons. Uh, and, and a lot of those bad reasons just kind of center in on, well, things didn't go the way I wanted, or the pastor said something I didn't like, or there's broken relationships at that church, or I'm not able to do what I want. I can't serve in the way I wanted because I got shot down or whatever. This is a host of things that could go into causing a person to leave for the bad reasons. And as Bob just said, we we would generally say it's better to stay at your church. If you're a member of that church, you should, you should stay at that church. Um, unless some of the criteria that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes comes up. Um, and I think that's important too, because we live in such a consumeristic culture that you know, we live in a society that basically says you shop around and get what you want. You know, it's kind of like buying a new car. I'm going to shop around until I find one with all my features. And uh, if I don't like that one, then I'll move on to the next one. But I don't think church should be like that. Church should be more like a marriage. It should be like a covenant. You become a member and you, you stay there and you commit yourself uh, to, um, to that church. And so that would be the general consensus. We would we hate to see people leaving churches that they've made themselves members of and committed themselves to. Uh, but there are some criteria that we're going to flesh out here for just a few minutes that I think helps discern when not only you may leave that church, but probably when you should leave that church. And so those are some things that we want to uh, deal with in this in this call. But I, I just think it's an important topic because we do get asked that question quite often. Yeah, you know, I've heard over the years, I mean, I've only been a pastor for four years, but I've been a Christian for a long, for 20 years, and I've heard people tell me before some of the reasons they were leaving church, and the two main ones I've heard were, well, the music just wasn't quite right, I mean, it wasn't, just, it didn't, we didn't really like the music that much, and they didn't have a, a children's ministry that met our needs. Those were the two main things I've heard over the years, and I don't, those are not reasons to leave a church, and um, so... But we'll flesh this out as we go. So. Yeah, I'd only add, um, you know, speaking of music ministry, I would say the reason I would leave over music is that they're pumping through Bethel or Hillsong right, or something but like that. that wasn't the case. No, no, I understand. I just didn't, you know, that's one of the reasons why we don't we don't play those things. Yeah. Um, or if it's too loud, like excessively loud, you know, like you're at a, at a Bon Jovi concert or something <laughs> like that. You obviously want to. But I would say even before leaving... Go and talk to the leadership, um, and that's why they that that's what you should be doing. We don't just want to upright or outright leave, but actually sit down and, and ask them um, why they're doing these things, and that'll actually lead us into our point number two, looking at godly leadership and then how they should be responding to you. But um, so we can start out by just defining, you know, kind of historically what's been called the church. And when we say historically, it's what you know as you look throughout church history, um, and you see these these common things. Um, that came together to be a church. Um, and the three main things, especially after the Reformation, um, the three main things that go into a church that we would say are, are non-negotiable is the church must be preaching the word, um, a church must have godly leadership, uh, and a church must be practicing um, church discipline. And those three components really go into uh, what a church should be doing, and almost everything else we would consider subjective uh, on the level of children's ministry, women's ministry, music, all that kind of stuff. Now, it's not saying that 
we would want to go to a church that doesn't hold to the deity of Christ or doesn't hold to the virgin birth or doesn't, you know, all of those doctrinal positions that we die on the hill for. But in generally speaking, the majority of evangelical churches, use that term loosely, that you're going to go to believe in those things. The areas where we differ would be church discipline, preaching of the word, and godly leadership. And, uh, and so I, obviously we all know the big doctrinal stuff you know, that we would hold to. You go through your systematics. And so we're not talking about that. We're talking about the, the three things that actually make up a church. So uh, first and foremost, preaching Can I say one word. thing real quick? Yeah. Before we dive into those three criteria, and you mentioned it briefly, Bob, I think it's helpful to maybe flesh that out just a little bit. What would be some... If you're going to leave a church, what would be some ways you should do that? And so um, just thinking through, um, you should never leave a church hastily. Like something happens and you say, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. That's it. We're done. We're, we're packing up and leaving. Don't, don't do it hastily. That should be something that you approach very slowly, wisely, patiently, really wrestling through that decision. That's a big decision. And so I think that's one of the important criteria. If you're going to leave, uh, don't leave hastily. And the second thing I would say is just pray about it. You need to spend some time in prayer uh, about that situation, really praying for wisdom as you come to make that decision. That's not a decision you can just arrive at quickly without um, coming to the Lord. So don't leave hastily. Pray about it. Uh, I think you should consult other believers during that time as you're wrestling with that. Find some mature, godly people that you know that you know will be able to give you some sound advice on that decision. Maybe people that you can tell a little about what the situation is. Get their input and help them help you figure out whether that's a, a reason for you to leave the church. So uh, don't leave hastily. Pray about it. Get counsel from other people. Uh, as Bob just said, you, you should talk to the leaders of your church if you're going to leave uh, talk to them. You, uh, if you're a member there in particular, you owe it to them to explain why, uh, to maybe even share your heart with them. Maybe there's some things that they don't know about, and maybe there's some changes that could be made. Uh, and so I think it is critical for you to have that conversation with them uh, before you go. And then the last one would just be to leave peacefully. Uh, don't you know? Don't try and send letters and get people on your side and. Uh, build a coalition of people that will see it from your perspective, and that, that's not wise. So if you are going to leave, just just leave grace, graciously, kindly, uh, peacefully. So I, I think those would be some criteria to think about just as you, if you do make that decision uh, to do so in accordance with some of those principles. Having said that, though, what we want to talk through then, what would be some of the criteria by which you, you probably should leave the church? And that's where we're going with this, preaching sound leadership, and church discipline. So you want to take us from there? Yeah, I would say the big asterisk to all that is if the church decides to go in the direction of gross sin, meaning like they install a female lesbian pastor, and I don't think you have to pray about that. Uh, I, I would be out the door. Um, but these would be normal <laughs> that's things, and that's, that's absolutely correct. Uh, so I would say, you know, first of all, preaching the word. Um, and, you know, you read down 1 Timothy 4.13, 2 Timothy 4, and, um, you know, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so preaching the Word, um, top on the list, if you're going into a church, um, you want to make sure the things that are coming out of the pulpit, and, and it's not just the pulpit ministry, though that's extremely important within the body life of the church, but what's being taught and preached throughout the week of ministry. So is it... You know, your, your Bible studies, your small groups, your men's studies, women's studies, um, you know, Wednesday evening, prayer meetings, these kind of things. Are they 
topically focused? Are they going through the latest fad of a book? Because you can have a church that preaches Sunday morning, and he can exposit the text real well. Then you show up for a men's Bible study, and you're going through Craig Rochelle's latest one on, you know, how to not give in to the giants of your temptation or something. And so, you know, that's a sign that says, wait a minute, you know, they're not kind of going through this whole that's thing. That's not what David and Goliath is about? Well, that's their next call. So, <laughs> um, But uh, so preaching the word, not looking for storytellers. Um, and Todd actually said this kind of in passing, but it's a consumer mentality that you shouldn't be going to a church thinking you're headed to McDonald's or something like that. Um, where they, you can just pick what you want, um, but there should be some consistency. So let's talk about that a bit, um, preaching the word. Why is that important in the life of the church? Yeah, I, I would just say, to kind of piggyback on what you're saying here, Bob, with preaching, is that that may occur at early stages where you're having, um, the, the text is being exposited from the pulpit, but then some of these other um, things that are going on within the church are maybe a little less uh, robust. But I think over time, the, the preaching is the rudder of the ship, as it were. It's That's going good. to drive the church. So if the preaching is solid, it's it's from the Word, it's expository with proper hermeneutics, then um, I think eventually that's going to, that's going to um, for lack of a better word, infect the rest of the church in a good way. Mm. So um, the, it's, it keeps you from... Um, it just keeps you straight. So that's one reason that it's so important to have solid preaching from the pulpit because that's where it starts, that's where it all begins. So. so the pulpit sets the tone for the church. Yes. Whatever is coming from the pulpit ultimately sets the tone and the direction for that church. So you're exactly right. That That is absolutely critical. That, that should be your first litmus test for whether that uh, church is being faithful or not. And, and I do think that the expository um, factor there is the crucial issue. I mean, there's there's people who are saying right things uh, and they're using Bible verses to support them, but they're not preaching the text. Yes. And so we would believe that when Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, he literally means exposit the text. Yes. Say what the words of God are saying in those passages. Um, and so we would say that a healthy, robust church is where expository preaching is taking place where the text of the, the scripture actually forms the outline of the passage and that you come away better understanding a particular text of scripture rather than just having an idea of what the Bible generally says about some topics. So I think that's that's the key issue here. Yeah, and to, to bring that down, I think even a, a, to a more personal level is what, what you're saying is there's guys who talk about the text, but there's not guys who preach the text. Exactly. And so you need to make sure that as you're listening, because man, there's a plethora of um, resources to listen to from podcasts to churches, live sermons, especially in this day and age, is you need to be able to discern. And I like this quote here, is it says, it takes discernment to recognize a sermon made to sound divine, while the voice of the wizard encourages you to pay no attention to the pastor hiding behind the curtain. And so we need to know that, is this guy just talking to hear himself talk? There are extremely gifted men out there who are fantastic orators and who can captivate and hold an audience for 30 minutes. And you walk away and you feel great and you feel encouraged. And now you know something about the text, but you don't actually know the text. And so you need to make sure that as you go into a church, as you're listening to the sermon, that you're discerning as you're listening. Are they talking, are they just using this text as a springboard 
to make a point that they've always wanted to make, or they're actually expositing the text that's, that's there. And in other words, the only voice that matters is the voice of God. Wholeheartedly. Doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what neither of any of us think, it doesn't matter what any other voice in contemporary culture thinks. What matters is when you come to church, are you hearing the voice of God being proclaimed from the pulpit, from his word? That that's the first and foremost test of whether you've got a healthy church. Yeah, and we see that in Scripture. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.1, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, no pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles we, um, we might have asserted our authority. And so Paul didn't go there trying to win people with his skill. He went there to preach the word. Um, and so you need to make sure that the church you're going to that um, they're preaching the word and holding close to the text. So if you're at a church and you're evaluating, should I leave or not, you should be saying, am I being fed? Am I, am I understanding the truth? Is there a deep conviction and commitment to proclaiming the words of God? And does the pastor study rightly? Does he rightly divide the word? Is there a a careful handling of the text and is there a desire to be faithful to the word of God and and is there just this robust conviction that the truth of the scripture drives everything that we do and if that's not in place then perhaps you need to evaluate whether that's a church you want to remain at it's true yeah if you can read your study notes at the bottom of your NIV Bible and you get the same thing that the pastor just said there's a pretty good chance he's just reading the study notes at the bottom of his Bible too. you know and so um, you want to go deep into the text you know you want to take four and a half years to go through Romans at least um, so <laughs> so that's good um, preaching the word secondly qualified leadership um, there's not too many um, organizations in the world that give the people of the body the qualifications for those who are leading. So meaning that the Bible specifically tells the entire church what they should be expecting from the leadership. Um, and so then it's your responsibility to make sure that those men who are placed in those positions are adhering to the leadership that's put forth by Scripture. Um, so because Jesus established his church, Matthew 16, he alone is the one now that can establish its standards. We have, we cannot give in on any area that he has set up. Um, Christ is the head of the church, and Christ is the one who is the sole source for authority in the church, and that authority is derived from, from his word for us as we're, as we're putting those things in practice. So, guys, you want to talk about that? Why is it important? What does that look like, qualified leaders in the church? Yeah, I mean, it's important because it's, those are scriptural mandates of what a, a leader in the church should strive for. Um, and one thing I appreciated when I came to Maranatha um, for the eldership, there's a huge packet you have to work through. Um, it deals with each of those qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3 and uh, Titus. Um, and so I think it's so important that we urge our men on to those uh, qualifications for leadership because it's in Scripture. You know, and I think um, if we're not, if we're doing anything less than that, we're we're disobeying scripture. We're setting yeah. ourselves up for failure. Another way to say that is the like sheep, like shepherd, like sheep. Yes. Like priest, like people. So in other words, the, the elders, the leaders, whatever terminology you use to refer to the leaders of your church, that group is a microcosm of the church. So however they go, the church goes. Oh, um, there's a spiritual principle there that 
that the character, the commitment, the convictions of those men are going to spill over into and determine the health of that church. They set the direction for that church. And so you have to have qualified men in those positions. And we would say men. Uh, we would obviously emphasize that that is not a position for, for a woman. So if you're at a church where a woman is uh, an elder or a pastor, right, at the, right off the bat, that's a clear violation of the scriptural text on First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But those qualifications really are essential to a man's character, and a man's character determines the kind of leader that he's going to be. So you can't, you can't dissect your qualifications from who you are. That, that is who you are. So if you're going to have a healthy church, you have to have a group of men who meet those criteria uh, because that sets the spiritual tone for the church in terms of life, conduct, godliness, holiness. They, they ought to be the models. They're not perfect by any means, but First Peter 5 says you're to shepherd the flock in a way that you're an example to the flock. So the people should look at you or look at those leaders and they should see a, a group of men who they want to emulate, not in perfection, but because they're modeling the kind of behavior and conduct. And those men are also the gatekeepers for the doctrine of the church. Uh, they're, according to Titus 1, to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So those men set the doctrinal direction of that church. They also set the philosophical direction of that church. So, you know, I, I would almost boil this whole conversation down to when do you leave, leave a church? You leave a church for doctrine and direction. And a lot of that comes down to just the leadership. If they're not holding the line on doctrinal issues and they're setting a direction that is... Um, going to have a tangent that, that takes you off in a direction that's unbiblical if they're moving towards the church growth model or something like that. Those would be some warning signs that I think those leaders are probably not in a place where they should be in terms of upholding God's standards. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I like this. Um, I was reading through some stuff on, on how you can tell who a, a leader is in the church or, you know, I think probably better put is you know, as as we're leading <clears throat> as elders of the church, what should we be looking for? And then, um, you know, conversely, how, how should the congregation then look and say, yeah, that man is qualified um, to lead the church? And, and I like this these three things here. He has a desire to bear the weight of the souls of the people. He has to meet very specific character requirements, like you were saying. And then he also has to be recognized by the people with the gift of leading. And so we do. We we need to see that, and then you as as congregants also, you need to be able to look at your leadership and see people who are desiring to bear the weight of the souls. Mm. Um, the one thing that the while the eldership character and the we would say uh, you know regular normal you know Christian in the church character run the same. There's not a separate set of higher requirements, right? We're all believers and sheep. The one thing that really separates is that. One day, each of us is going to stand before God and give an account for every single soul that's come through this door that we've taught and preached to. And that includes everyone in the past where, you know, you've, you've studied with and then moving on into the future. That's a, a burden that you have to desire to have. And if that desire is not there, then you shouldn't be in that position. Uh, and then obviously your character and the church body should be able to say, as you were saying, Todd, this is a guy that I want to emulate, um, and it's a guy that I want to seek after as he is seeking after Christ. Yeah. And uh, and so I think we you have a responsibility not to just you know take it as well he's a good guy and, and I really like him and 
And let's make sure that he gets into leadership because unqualified men lead to unqualified people. Yeah. Another way of saying that is they should be shepherds. Right. They should be leaders who love the flock. They're not there for self-aggrandizement. They're not there for selfish ambition. They're not there to promote themselves or build their kingdom. They're there because they love you and they love your your, your family and they want to serve you and care for your soul. That's really what they're, they're about, soul care. And so those are the kind of leaders that you want to put yourself under in the church. Yeah, and that, so in these first two, especially preaching the word and qualified leadership, um, if you're in a church where this is not happening, uh, I would not suggest just going up and telling the pastor or the elder this, like, hey, you're not preaching the word right. Um, or uh, I don't really think you're qualified to be a leader. These would be things you'd want to show love and grace and seasoned and, and take your time and, you know, um, get to know them and uh, and see why it is they're doing what they're doing. Um, you know, there are churches that have good old boys clubs and, you know, I'll be the first to admit it. Um, you know, there are a lot of churches you're just in because you give enough money. And so you're on the board, you're a deacon, you're an elder because your family has been there for 50 years and you, you know, you're, you're making sure the lights stay on and the pastor has a salary. And, and so... You know, there perhaps is some politics you have to navigate as well. Um, but I would also say before doing anything hastily, make sure, as, as you said earlier, you pray and then you go and speak. And it's if they don't want to listen, well, that's on them. But you need to take care of you. you know, that's good. And then lastly, so if you don't do number one and number two, right, number three is going to happen, right? You have church discipline. And uh, and so why is it important? We have Matthew 16, Matthew 18, Titus 3. We see these areas where church discipline is coming in. Um, we'll say, I think out of the three of these, church discipline is the one that 99%, that's just off the top of my head, I haven't pulled every church, they don't practice. They might be solid Bible teachers, they might be, you know, gifted or, you know, qualified elders, but they don't practice church discipline. Um, and so why is it important? Why do we have that on there to be a, a, a church that practices church discipline? Well, once again, it's it's mandated in Scripture that we should be doing this, and it's for the, the health of the body, and it's to bring about reconciliation of sin. We don't want to just let a, um, a wound fester and turn gangrene. You have to cut the arm off. We're a body, and we want to um, we want to urge people on to uh, reconciliation. And church discipline, it, the word discipline has a bad connotation, but it's just um, helping um heal and restore and reconcile relationships within the body of Christ. And if those don't happen, if there's no reconciliation taking place, there's no repentance taking place, then yes, then we do have to cut off the infected gangrene arm so it doesn't affect the rest of the body. Um, that's kind of a long answer to, to the question, but no, you're right. that's why it's important so that the body stays healthy. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is exactly what it says. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Mm. So that's what he's saying there. Is, is If there's unrepentant sin in the life of a church and a church doesn't deal with that, then eventually that's going to fester in the life of that church. And it's going to spread and it's going to continue to do more harm. So godly churches, healthy churches, godly leaders will lovingly and graciously and kindly and humbly, but at the same time, seriously deal with that kind of sin. If it is genuinely unrepentant, then 
then a, a godly elder team will deal with that. And you want to be in a church where, where that happens, because if you don't, then what begins to happen is people start whispering, people start talking, and you communicate something as a church by not dealing with that. You, you implicitly say, well, it's not that big a deal. Sin can be excused. We don't take it that seriously. That begins to have a spillover effect into the life of the church. Who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Exactly. So it's critical. I think that's good. So I, we could kind of boil it down to, first of all, it's there to keep the church holy. Um, <clears throat> and so God, in his church, we're, we obviously have sheep and goats, right? We have wheat and tares growing together. Every church has it, even Maranatha. We have people that come here Sunday. Perhaps they've been coming a long time and they're not saved. It just is what it is because that's what the Bible says. Um, but they're not in unrepentant sin and they're not, you know, um, uh, out there living a licentious lifestyle. And so we're not church disciplining them because do anything wrong and so they would come into the flock and be here so we want to keep the church holy um, but the second thing is uh, what people don't realize is we actually love the soul more than you know the person's feelings and uh, so by telling that person an unrepentant sin we are giving them the opportunity to see that hey if you repent of this you know you're part of the body and that's kind of what you're reading in first corinthians there but if you don't repent of this and you want to stay in unrepentant sin now you're acting like the world and, and I love what people say judging, right? And I like that, Joe. Because I, I, this little, this little uh, section here of Scripture, and he says, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is in, if he is any moral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So what he's saying is if you have somebody in the church who is in unrepentant sin, you should not even be around them at all, right? Because they're calling themselves a believer and they're not acting like it. And then Paul says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? Uh-oh. So we're called to actually judge the people in the church. Why don't we judge people outside of the church? Paul says right here, God judges them. Right, So those who are outside of the church, God's taking care of. Those who are inside of the church, we as a body are called to take care of ourselves. You can say we're policing our own people. And that comes for everybody, from the eldership all the way down to the guy who just came up and, and was baptized. And so it is very, very important that we have this to keep the church holy. Because you don't want somebody coming in who thinks that they're saved. And so they live 30 years in the church, think they're okay, and they die and they go to hell. Because you didn't want to come up and confront their sin. And so we do have a responsibility to do that uh, with regards to church discipline. Guys, anything you want to add? So, if you're at a church where those three things aren't happening, mm. faithful, sound, expository preaching, qualified elders and leaders, and church discipline is not a regular practice, then you should probably consider evaluating whether that's a place you should remain at. At the flip side, or on the flip side, if you're at a church where those three things are happening and it's a pretty healthy church, then you should probably seriously consider whether you should leave. And maybe it's better to stay there and remain a part of that body where you can serve and be a part of, of that health, uh, healthy church and becoming even more healthy. So hope that's helpful and hope that's kind of some criteria by which you can evaluate that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Awesome. Well, guys, hope this helpful. Um, once again, we're going to take the next two weeks off, Christmas and New Year's, uh, and then we will be back with a, a whole new set of um, body life stuff, and I hope to encourage you in your ministry uh, here at church, at home, um, so you can uh, be fruitful and grow in God's grace and knowledge. So we uh, hope you have a great afternoon, and we will see you on Sunday.